And we do have this surrender all attitude. I can remember as a young Christian, I was probably about 31 years old. I was saved a couple of years. And I was in the gym and I was working out. And I remember I was doing pull downs behind the neck. And I was listening to my worship music. And then we used to have these CD cassette players and... Uh, and I remember tears coming down my eyes because I was, I forget the song I was, I was singing, but I remember saying, Lord, I never told you that I surrender everything to you. I remember this epiphany moment. It was me and the Lord just as I was working out at the gym. And I just said, just do whatever you want with me, whatever you want. You know, it was the most freeing time in my heart because, you know, you just felt this commitment to Christ I was committed to Christ, I was growing as a Christian, I was committed to the local church, and so on and so forth, but there was this, this touch on my life, and, and, uh, and as we were singing that song, I couldn't help but to remember that day in the gym, and, uh, and God's good to us, amen? amen. You know, he, 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 he empowers us to surrender all, because without his empowerment, we can't do it, we can't surrender anything, as a matter of fact, it takes the Lord to do that. So, bless God, that just brought me back. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13? I'm going to read five verses of Scripture and make some comments. Ah, There we are. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 52. This is the end of their ministry in Cyprus. Are you ready? And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, the reason we are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit is the same reason this new church in Cyprus was filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, because you sent out men who were called and filled by the Holy Spirit to go preach the message of Jesus to people who never heard the message, just like friends and family were filled with the Holy Spirit, and told us about Jesus. I thank you for all the men and women who have surrendered their life in the cause of Christ. Take a moment, church. Who led you to Christ? Who led you? Who was it that God sent to you when you first heard the message, when you first started being drawn Don't underestimate that. That person was sent by the Holy Spirit. That person was filled with the Holy Spirit. That person was obedient to the whole, maybe people, maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe your friend. Don't take that lightly. 
It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name. As we continue our teaching in Acts, I have been compelled just to sit in these first four verses and, and think about really what's taking place here. That this is no just four verses of scripture, five verses of scripture. Let's go on to the book of Acts. The book of Acts here is making a big transition, if you want to know that. It goes from all the work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Christ in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And now a promise that was made to Abraham thousands of years earlier that the, all the nations would be blessed through Abraham. And, and that's, the, that's the gospel about Jesus Christ. It's finally coming to fruition now. We're on the precipice of stepping out into the whole Roman Greco world that knows a little bit about Moses. They even heard some about Jesus. But now the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas are going to come with all the power necessary of the Holy Spirit to make this foolish message about a crucified man who died and rose again for their sins real and to drive it home. I don't want you to miss this. This is what's taking place here. We have this little local church and we have these four ministers, five ministers. They're praying, they're worshiping together. I spoke about this last week. They, they love the Lord, they're worshiping Him, they're praying, they're fasting, they're seeking direction. They got the promise in their heart of being sent one day. Both Barnabas and Paul knew that they were called for more than being just local pastors. Not just, I don't use just in, in some kind of uh, uh, rhetorical way. But they knew there was more for their life. They, God has called them for something specific. And now the time has come. Don't miss this transition. Don't read the book of Acts like, oh, it's just another chapter. In redemptive history, this is huge. God has been waiting since the time he told Abraham, the whole world's going to be blessed for you, right? God is waiting, and now it's going to happen. The rest of the book, the next uh, 15 chapters, you will see Paul going all around the Roman Greco world, preaching Christ, being stoned to death. Everywhere he went, he went to jail. There was no hotels waiting for him. Everywhere he went, he went to a jail. And if there was a hospital, guess what? He would have went there too because they beat him up everywhere. But that's what happens when you love Christ and you're called by Christ to go. Last week we spoke about one of the hidden elements in effective ministry and effective life. I hope you saw the principle last, last week that praying and worshiping God should be the cornerstone of effective living. Are you saved? If you're not sure, see me after the meeting, and we'll talk more about that. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? You are called and saved for effective life, effective ministry. You are called to be a, a professional human being. Did you know that? You are called to walk out filled with God, filled with understanding, having purpose, a worshiping human being to go out and make a difference in the world. We all are. Everyone in this room is. It's not a me thing. It's not, you, got, you have to be a pastor. You forget about that. If you're a Christian, God is meaning to use you wherever you're at. Whatever your sphere of influence is, God wants to use you. And to do that, we worship. And part of that is to worship and pray and to keep God's vision afresh at all times. To know that just coming to churches, you're missing it. 
I'm telling you, I love you. Be honest with yourself. Are you someone who just goes to church? Please hear me. You're missing it. You will live one boring life. You will. It'll be boring. You'll just go from one day to the other. You'll do some good things. You'll be loved by God. You'll go to heaven. But understand something. You're never going to live the book of Acts. It's never going to be part of who you are. You're never going to hear God persuading you to go and to open up your mouth and to be used and to teach people and to show people Christ. And so we have these four or five men together and they're worshiping and they're worshiping for a reason. We spoke about it last week. They're worshiping because that's what we're called to do. We are called to be a worshiping people who pray and thank God continuously with thanksgiving and gratitude in our heart. Listen to the way Hebrews teaches it. Listen to Hebrews 13. This is what these men are doing, okay? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. Through him, that's Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's what they're doing. They're not not bound to Antioch. They're not bound to this world. They're seeking something much better in their life. They're seeking something so much better for their family. They're seeking something so much better for the city they're in. They're seeking a city that's to come. It's not on this earth yet. It's the kingdom of God. And while they're waiting, they're offering up a sacrifice of praise to God, which is what? The fruit of their lips. They're acknowledging every good and perfect thing God has ever done in their life with hope for more and hope for other people. It, it burdens me when you don't carry hope for other human beings. It burdens me when you don't feel the burden for other human beings. When life is about me and Jesus, and that is it. Understand something. If you and I got around the Father's business, you wouldn't even have to think about your own. You don't think God's going to take care of you. You don't think God knows what you need. You don't think God knows what you really need, what you're going to need in two years or five years and ten years. He knows it all. But if we got around his business, guess what? He'll take care of us. As we get lost in worship and we get lost in taking care of God, guess what? He always takes care of us. I remember one day I was working in the gym and uh, I had a new client. I totally forgot about this new client. Totally forgot. I finished about 11 o'clock and I had a a, a 1 o'clock appointment with this guy. I totally forgot. And I went down to the park. I was praying. I was just loving the Lord. And I was ministering on to the Lord. And I'm worshiping and praying and thanks and and tears of joy. And then I'm going to go home. But I had to go to the bathroom. All that praying. So I said, I better go to the gym because I'll never make it home. So I went back to the gym. I walked in the gym exactly 1 o'clock. And the new client I totally forgot about, there he was at the counter. He said, oh, great. I was waiting for you. And God showed me, take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. I forgot about it, totally. Not five minutes early, not five minutes, one o'clock exactly, I didn't even know what time it was. I was so filled with worshiping God. For all you sinners, I want you to know that, all right? I was doing it all But I'm just making a point. Sometimes we're trying to work out our life and fix our life. But if we throw ourselves into the work of God, and, we, and part of it is the worship, and I spoke about that more last week. I'm going to 
talk about it a little more today because how important it is. We're always trying to fix our life. Am I right or wrong about that? Amen. Who's trying to fix something in their life right now? Who's the wife? Who's the husband? Who's the child? Who's the friend? What's the job? What's this? What's that? Aren't we always trying to fix it? Now, I'm not saying there's not natural concerns we've got to take care of. But usually what happens, we do it at the expense of the great relationship with the Lord. So we have these five men. They're five ministers. We've got this wonderful church. Uh, diverse in every way you can possibly imagine. I spoke about it last week. I don't want to go over it again. But here they are. They're worshiping God. They're loving God. They're offering up the fruit of their lips. They're praising God. They're bringing the church before God. They're praying for people. They're praying for their community. But yet within their heart, they notice something bigger. Barnabas and Paul know they were called for something more. And we spoke about this 15 years earlier. That was chapter 9. When Paul had his Damascus Road experience, God sets him apart for the ministry to the Gentiles. You are going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. You shall know what it means to suffer for my name's sake. Paul is all in. And 15 years later, he's still waiting. That's a long time. But these are the personal hopes, and I want to just spend a little time now on waiting on God, waiting on a promise of God, waiting on something God has told you. And this is why I want to just spend a little more time this week on these verses, because we can get caught up here trying to watch something happen, waiting for the promise, waiting for the lost loved one, waiting for the new job, Waiting for the spouse, waiting for the child, wait, waiting. You know, God promised. Does anybody in this room have a promise in their heart you believe God spoke to you? I know I do. Of course. The Bible gives us promises. God speaks to us. He loves us. But guess the best way to wait? Be busy with God. Take the promise, and I'll show you who did this. Take the promise. You know who did that? Mary. Remember the word came to Mary through Simeon and through Anna the prophet. You remember this son, this young man's going to grow up and a sword is not going to depart from his hand and he's going to lead many to righteousness and salvation. And it says that Mary hid these things in her. And as Kimmy just reminded me, and a sword will pierce your own heart. So here we go. They're worshiping. It's another day in the ministry. It's another day in the life of Saul. It's another day in the life of Barnabas. It's another day in the life of this church. Business as usual. They're waking up. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're loving God. They're worshiping God. They're offering up sacrifices of praise. They're constantly reminded of what they used to be and what they are now. They're reminded that Saul was a persecutor of the church. He murdered Christians. We know that Menin was a, 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 a 
a, a brother of, of, of Herod the Patriarch who killed John the Baptist, cut off his head. We got this eclectic crew all together. They all have a past. We have Barnabas the Levite. He was truly a Jew of a Jew. He was a priest. He had the blood running through his veins. He had the right to go to the altar. He was a Levite by birth. And we got this whole eclectic crew, they're worshiping God, and they're filled with hope, and they're filled with promise. And then after 15 years, the word comes. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I have for them. This is huge. These are formidable times. And how hard it is to wait. Isn't it hard to wait? And that's why I ask you, are you waiting for anything? Waiting is hard. But it's much harder when you're waiting to see the kettle boil. You have to know how to wait properly. These are formidable years for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who was a Pharisee by trade, by vocation, by choice, he was a man who, 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 who loved the Jewish nation. He wanted nothing to do with a Gentile world. God had to reteach him everything he was going to be used for. And it took a long time to change his character. But now he's ready. His theology is in one hand. He loves the Gentile world in the other hand. And now he's sent off to God. So it brings it to us, the things we're waiting for. How are we waiting? Are we being prepared? Is God changing us from the inside out? What is if God has a promise on your life? Maybe if God has a call on your life. Are you prepared? Do you remember the other young man who had a dream once that his father and his brothers were going to bow down to him? Remember that man's name? He was a young boy, 17 years old. And he knew it. God spoke to him. But man, was he far from prepared. You see, a boy received the dream, but it came through a man. 17 years later, it came through fruition. You see, the one who gets the dream and receives the promise is not the one who it comes through. It's a change you want to be in. Paul was totally changed and transformed. David is another example of waiting upon the Lord. You can get the call when you're a young man and you can slay a Goliath and you can think, I'm in. I took down Goliath. I'm ready for everything. But little do you know, you're not ready for anything. Paul had no idea what was awaiting him, to really what it means to suffer for Christ. Paul himself had to be prepared to suffer for Christ. And suffer he did. Everywhere you go in the book of Acts, there's not a chapter where Paul is not suffering. He's constantly suffering. 
we have to grow up and mature through the waiting process. And that's one of the things I wanted to pick out here. I don't want to go into chapter 9 to chapter 13 and go on. I want you to see that Paul and Barnabas specifically had to wait a long time, many, many, many years, until the dream, until the hope, until the call finally comes to fruition. But the same person who gave them it, the Holy Spirit said, now send them out for the purpose I have called them. The time has come. Now they're going. They're not going to birth any kind of Ishmael. Here they go. They're on their way. And in this place where the call comes through, there are teachers and there are prophets. Now I want to take a moment on speaking about teachers and prophets because it's important because we don't want to get them confused and we don't want to superimpose what people say today about prophets 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the prophets were real. They had spontaneous revelations from God to direct the church, to encourage the church, to uh, strengthen the church. But every word they ever got from God was about Jesus Christ. It wasn't about anything else. What we have over here in this church, Paul himself was a teacher, Paul himself was a prophet. There were, to really understand the prophetic gift 2,000 years ago, if we went to the Old Testament, we took out two people called Haggai and Zechariah. Are you familiar with the books? That's the rebuilding of the temple. They performed no miracles. No fire came out of heaven. They were truly prophets. And how God used these two men was to come alongside the local church and do what? to encourage them because they were so discouraged and despondent about what was taking place that, guess what, the, the, the Old Testament temple was not being built. They lost all motivation because of discouragement, and they also lost all motivation. Do you know why? They were too busy building their own houses. The prophetic voice is in the church to remind us of the urgency of the Christian gospel. It is there when John preaches and he teaches, he's upstairs, we're here on Monday night, we're here on Thursday, we're here on Sunday. There is that urgency to live this Christian gospel out. This is not a mere lecture to get together and find out information and find out facts about God and about Jesus Christ. This is to move us to action no matter how challenging the Christian life is, no matter how challenging building a church is, no matter how challenging being a parent is, no matter how challenging anything is in the Christian life, the prophetic voice is within the text. And as we expound on that, we hear that word to keep going and keep moving. How important is that to us today? How important? Who needs to be encouraged? I do. Often I get encouraged from a text, many times. Often I'll get encouraged from a sermon, many times. Most of the encouragement comes when I'm reading the scriptures and I'm reminded of what Christ has done. And to keep my eyes focused on the prize, as Paul says. Keep your eyes on the prize to the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. Don't be like Peter when you're walking on the water. Don't take your eyes and look at the waves. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You and I need that. If not daily, we need it weekly. If not weekly, we need it monthly. We constantly need to be encouraged by the prophetic word that's in the scriptures.
That's what these prophets did. They were extreme teachers. They were builders. They built the foundation of the Christian church. But they had this prophetic, we call it prophetic unction. They had the ability to speak into you and motivate you. How important that is. They do it with their own life. And they do it with the gift of God on them. The teacher, on the other hand, the teacher was more instructional. The teacher could break down all the I's and all the T's of the Old Testament and show you Christ and point to Christ and show you and teach you and understand the, to, to understand the gospel. You understand the Godhead. You understand Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They would break down the doctrines. They would compartmentalize. They would tear the text apart. They would explain Christ. They would help you renew That's what the teachers did. All Christian ministry has both today. As you're faithful to the Bible, if you're called, like Barnabas was called, and Saul was called by the Holy Spirit, when you're in a church where the men are called by the Holy Spirit to teach and to preach Christ, God will speak to your hearts to live the Christian life. It's in the text. Unfortunately for some today, that the prophets are people that can foretell future events. Over here, the spirit, the prophet, didn't foretell anything. He just said, now it's the time to come. I already, Paul already knew. The prophet was confirming what Paul and Barnabas already knew. A matter of fact, they labored so long together and like I keep on saying, maybe 10, at least 10 years, if not longer, they ministered together. They were best friends. They knew each other's hearts. They knew each other's calls. They knew each other's intents. They knew what they wanted to do for God. They were best friends. But they waited so long for the proper time. And as we spoke about last week, they were not going to leave this church. This is a, Antioch was a, a, a metropolis. It was a growing church. It was, it was dynamic. And they were not going to just leave this work. But we can rest assured now that the church was sound, the church was secure, and the church was ready to allow their two teachers, prophets, evangelists to leave. And guess what? The church is mature enough to let them go. That's big. That's huge. Because this church... Saw the vision. This church wasn't about, oh, Paul's not going to give me a word for today. Oh, Paul's not going to meet my felt needs today. This church wasn't about themselves. They were about everybody else. They were on board. They supported these two men. They prayed for them. They were concerned. They supported them financially. They were ready to send these two men out and a little team that went with them to go preach the gospel. When I read this and I reread it because it just brings me deep joy and deep encouragement how a community of people that knew nothing about God, they were Gentiles. They knew very little bit about Moses. All of a sudden they were consumed with the purposes of God. The joy that comes to John, the joy that comes to me, when I see someone consumed with the purposes of God. When I can make a phone call and say, you know something, we're having a little something, we need some help. I'm in, Pastor. I'm in. Just let me know. You know what that does for us? People are consumed with God. You know how joyful that is? 
You know that, that that takes the pressure off when you, all you got to do is text somebody, make a phone call, ask somebody. Listen, we're doing something like, this, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm in. That's what kind of church this was. This is the church that said, we're ready to go. We're in. We're ready to send them off. We're on board, one hundred percent. This is a strong, strong church that grew up for the longest time listening to the Apostle Paul unravel the mysteries of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't want him to leave. It says a lot about the church. They grasp it. It also goes to show how long it takes to build a solid church. It takes a long time to build maturity. Talks about the Holy Spirit in prayer. And I don't want to miss that. I want to spend a moment on that. I don't want to take the mystery out of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul, you know. And people are waiting. The Holy Spirit is going to come out of the sky somewhere. Christianity is a supernatural religion. Period. Supernatural. God actually speaks to us. And you should say, praise God. You really should. You should say, praise God. But what the Holy Spirit said was already a witness to them because God already told them that. If somebody would come and tell me, you know, Brian, God's going to do this, I'm saying, you know something? No, God didn't tell me that. Tell me something I already know. Tell me something God already told me. This is important. In the book of Luke, in the book of Acts, the author Luke speaks much, if not more, than any other New Testament author about prayer and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Of course you did. That's my job. Over 29 times it's mentioned in just the book of Acts alone. Almost another 20 times in the book of Luke. No one spends more time speaking about it in the gospel than Luke, in the New Testament, than the book of Acts. And most of the time it's always together. And I read the text differently. I read that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work I have for them. And then the church Pray for them, and the Holy Spirit sent them. At the end of chapter 13, when they left Cyprus, guess what? The disciples were what? Filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So when you read chapter 15, chapter 13, you get to the last verse, I like that. That's effective ministry. Filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I like that. You see, you got to reconstruct how you get there. And you cannot have a ministry that fills people with the joy in the Holy Spirit unless you are first called by the Holy Spirit. And then you are sent by the Holy Spirit. Too many people preaching, they shouldn't be preaching. Just because there's a crowd doesn't mean you have the Holy Spirit. Just because people are yelling and screaming don't mean they have the Holy Ghost. Doesn't mean they're saved, doesn't mean they're following right. Just because someone has... Thousands upon thousands, if not ten thousands of people listening to them and going to the stadiums and buying their books means they were sent by the Holy Spirit. The prophet Jeremiah says that. 
about the false teachers and false prophets. They preached their dreams and their visions. They ran. But I never sent them. Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. When the Holy Spirit has sent a man and prepared a man to do a work, you won't see the man. Don't miss it. You see Christ. No cult following. My pastor, my pastor, my this, my church, my this, my... No, no. Prayerfully, when you leave here, you tell people about Jesus and purely nothing else. If you want to come worship with us, fantastic. If you want to like me, I wouldn't mind that. But I don't care about that. I want you to see Jesus Christ, and that is it. That is the only goal of my heart and John's heart and this ministry, is that when you come in here, you see Christ. Now I go back to the Holy Spirit. How do you know? How do you know the Holy Spirit's doing the work? I'm going to let you wait. You know the Holy Spirit, you don't see the Holy Spirit doing the work. You look back and say, oh my goodness, it had to be the Holy Spirit. I couldn't produce that. I'm a Pharisee who killed men. I'm leading people to Christ now. Why would anybody want to listen to me? It's when you look back over the course of your life, over the course of the day, over the course of the sermons, over the course of the ministry, and you look at lives changed, and you see people filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, that's how you know the Holy Spirit's involved. You're not going to hear, thus says the Holy Spirit. If anybody comes to you and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, please, be very careful. Be very careful. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us spontaneous. If you're praying, if a mother's home praying for their children, I, God's going to speak to you. He's going to tell you something. Is it this school? Is that? God will speak to your heart. God will direct you. You're not going to hear an audible voice. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He will direct you. But this is all taking place. Please don't miss this. All this Holy Spirit work. Every time you see the work of the Holy Spirit, prayer is always there. And when you see the work of the Holy Spirit, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, there's always prayer on one side and a local community church on the other. It's always done in a local church. I've seen people run when God never called them. And it's trouble. When Paul and Barnabas heard the word, through a prophetic word, send them out, understand something. There was a whole church around them to lay hands on them, pray for them, fast for them, and commend them to the work. They were not lone rangers. Do you know what an ordination service is? When we ordain someone to the ministry, how do you know when someone's gifted? How do you know when someone's called? 
Why did me and John just get together and say, hey, we got nothing to do. Let's start a church. Well, no, 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 no better. Let's start a church. It doesn't work that way. It's the last thing you want. An ordination service is when a group of people say amen to, to the call on someone's life. That's what it is. That's when a group of people, a church, can say, we know that man. We know them. We know their teaching. We know their character. We've heard them. We've listened to them. And we can obviously see they've been set apart by the Holy Spirit to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. That's what an ordination service is. So when Paul and Barnabas left, they just didn't leave on their own. Let's break this place. The church said, send them. The Holy Spirit. Let me start with a rhetorical question. How many people really want to be God guided by the Holy Spirit? God, think about your life being guided by the Holy Spirit. Think about tomorrow morning waking up and being guided supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God. I want it. He's yours. You're filled with the Spirit. But how does that come about? Just from these four verses, we see a group of ministers and we see a church that's totally dependent upon God for everything. When your life lines up with a full and absolute dependence on God, you want nothing but to please God. You want nothing but to honor God. You want nothing but to obey God. I will tell you, you shall be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I'm spending time on this because you can read the text and think of these supernatural things that are just going to zap and just happen. Oh, it doesn't happen that way. Before this word came, there was some real deep character work done on all these men. They were holding on to a promise and waiting for the right time to go. There was a congregation that bore witness to their work and to their ministry and to their love and to their character. And they waited. And their minds were filled with a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So when the Spirit says go, there is a witness, there's a confirmation from others there's a fully developed human being ready to go in the name of God. Does that make sense to you? This is not supernatural stuff, subjective stuff. I've told you, I shared this. People have told me, the spirit told me. <laughs> Goodness. And I shared it. The guy told me, this woman loves me. I, the, the spirit told me that she's, she's the one for me. She already told me she's not interested in anybody. <laughs> but he swore. The Spirit's doing something. Of course, he was rejected. She, she kindly said, no, I'm not interested. So the whole world of cards came collapsing down because he built it up on the Spirit told me. 
Spear was nothing in that. That was his own desires, his own wills, wishes. Never brought it to me in prayer. He came and told me after the fact. Never said, you know something, you know, I'm interested in this girl. And I, maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe God's doing something. What's your thoughts? Never. Never asked my, my concern. Never asked my wisdom. Never, never asked me anything. Just told me the spirit of God told me. That's not the way it works. God just doesn't drop bombs like that. For the genuine guidance of the Holy Spirit, there are some deep, there's some prerequisites. A life that's fully dependent on God. A life that is part of a local church. A life that has been built up by the renewing of the mind, by sound teachers, and on who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. And that prophetic unction to live the Christian life. There's nothing more important. When you have those prerequisites, guess what? You're going to start hearing from God. And I say this from a pastor's heart. God wants us all to hear what he's saying. But there are prerequisites so that we know, that we know, that we know. So when we start getting these crazy thoughts that the Spirit of God told me, we can be careful on that. Amen? Seen too much damage. Fasting. I know that's everybody's subject over here. They fasted and prayed. Listen, I love praying. Fasting, I'm not really great at. But fasting can get real confused. The Old Testament church, you read the book of Acts, you read the Gospels, a lot of fasting is going on. I will take insights from two authors, two theologians, one's John Calvin. He says, Luke added fasting that we may know that their minds were free from all impediments. How many times did you really pray and you're thinking about dinner? Or you're thinking about something else? I mean, how, how much good concentration do you have? I remember as a young believer, if I prayed for two minutes without a distraction, that was a long time. As you mature in Christ and the things of God become more important to us, you'll find yourself praying on Thursday night. For most of the hour, my mind rarely drifts. I mean, if I'm, if I'm not praying, I can listen to someone else praying. I'm listening intently what they're saying. I'm giving the amen in my heart. I might not say that loud. Then I listen to the, another brother pray, another sister pray, and I can hear all this kingdom work going on, and, and, I, and I'm in. And sometimes you get a little distracted here and there. But how about praying without distractions? Fasting can do that. What fasting does is it puts us into a position where you're told dependent on God. Another author says this, Ralph Earl. He writes this, Fasting emphasizes a state of uninterrupted concentration, which made it possible to ascertain the will of God. This is the main purpose and value of fasting. I'll ask you a question. Do you find yourself in a position now where you really need to hear something from God? If it's not to now or it's in the future, a fast is a good thing. But don't take it upon yourself. Let somebody know, listen, so-and-so has gone on in my life. It's an important thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fast, and uh, maybe you can keep me in your prayers. Right, that's important. Let somebody else know. Maybe someone come alongside you. Fasting, 2,000 years ago, wasn't, not everybody was running around fasting for 40 days. Fasting was usually from sunup to... That, that was the fast. 
It was a 12-hour fast. They would wake up and they would commit themselves to 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 6 o'clock at night to pray and to lift up something specifically to the Lord. This group of ministers are praying. When we look at it this way, we can see that they want to know is it time to go to the Gentiles. They're praying specifically. And their fasting shows the, the, the urgency of that. So there are times in our life as a church, there are times in our life as individuals where fasting really might be a great component to your prayer life as you're waiting upon the Lord. Now I say, let someone else know, because I know there's people out there who are diabetic. One guy was a diabetic, he's fasting. He, I see him in the gym one day, because I haven't had, I said, you out of your mind? I said, you can't even walk, you can't even think. You've got to be careful when you do something like that. You don't take it upon yourself because it sounds good and it sounds spiritual. It might not make any sense. Have someone come alongside with you. Let someone know you're fasting. I'm fasting for the next three days. I'm lifting this up to the Lord. I'm praying for my husband. I'm praying for my wife. I'm praying for this. I'm asking the Lord for this. I'm not sure about this. And I just want to hear from God. So you fast. But let people come alongside with you. Fasting is generally a great help at specific times. I know John and myself, we come out of backgrounds where fasting was just a sort of, how can you say, a reward we would wear. I fasted 40 days, someone fasted 21 days, someone's fasting three days a week. And it sounds like this badge of honor. Now, God sees our heart. But understand something. You can go for months enough. You may go for a whole year not fast. But there are specific times when God will encourage you to fast. When that time comes, don't do it alone. Bring someone else aboard. I'm just going to close with this. I will get into the exposition of this chapter starting next week. I will go verse by verse through it. But I wanted to show you some things that are represented in these first four verses that really bring us into the local church life. I'm a local pastor. John's a local pastor. This means much to us. These are the foundations, and that's the name of the sermon, the foundations of a church life. A church life that's one-minded. This church was one-minded. When Paul showed them in the Old Testament the promise of Abraham that all the Gentiles were going to be blessed, when Paul showed them that you were part of that blessing, but now there's the rest of the world to go to, there was a whole church that got out of their own way, got out of their own life, and said, we're on board. This church was so educated. This church was so encouraged. This church was an encouragement to many, many other local churches. This church was encouraging to their ministers. They supported them financially. They supported them in their concern, in their prayers, everything. This church was on board. We have that here. I want you to know, John's very encouraged. I'm encouraged. We're encouraged ministers of the gospel. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love where it is. I love everybody in this room. And John will tell you, we pray for you often individually. 
as I shared last week, I ran into John, we were talking, and he told me that he was up early in the middle of the night praying as for many people individually as he could think of. I've been doing that for years. There's not a person in this room that I can look at right now in the eye. And to tell you, I have not prayed for you considerably. Even you, Eric. That's our job. God puts that on our heart. You know, and, and the church and the minister, the church and the leadership really should be one. We are generally a family. And that's modeled in this Antioch church. Such diversity. The socioeconomic uh, diversity was huge. The ethnicity was huge. And you have all these people from a multitude of nations around them, all with one mind to see Christ lifted up. Can you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for what you've done in my life personally when I felt the call of God on my life that day. And you said, teach. Teach and preach. And you you took me from teaching karate to men to teaching the word of God. And I thank you for that, God. And you've gifted John, you've gifted myself, you've gifted Patty, you've gifted this church, Father God. We are a teaching church that has the prophetic unction to move on people's will, to get your saints, Father God, moving in the right direction, to worship you, Father God, from their heart, Father God, to love you and to adore you and to praise you because that is where our strength is found. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, Father God. So continue to bless Sonship Ministries, God. I ask you to bless everyone that's in this room, everyone that heard the preaching today, Father God. I pray, Father God, that they are stirred up in their hearts to live for you, Father God. And if anyone, if any saint in this room is struggling in their life, Father God, I pray for them now. Touch them deeply, Lord God. Speak to their hearts right now. If there's anyone in this room, Encourage them, Father God. If anyone needs to be encouraged, if anyone needs direction, Father God, if anyone needs help, if anyone needs support, Father God, I ask you to speak to their hearts right now, Lord. In Jesus' name.